0: Hey there, sound friends. Rebecca Wilson here, your host of the Sound Girls podcast. And if you've ever been interested in becoming a tour manager, that's what this episode is all about. Lacha Horvers is a tour manager from Amsterdam, and she's been working large-scale tours for over 20 years. She's worked with M83, Robin, The Knife, and so many more people. And she gives us a great inside look at the daily life of a tour manager. And she also lays out some great resources if you're interested in getting into it. Lacha also started a music industry nonprofit called Backstage Pass, and it's a resource for women and underserved minorities who are interested in a career in live music production. When we spoke, she was on tour and she dialed in from a hotel room in Copenhagen. Thanks for listening. you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks for joining us, Lacha.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. I love Sound Girls.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you do a lot of work in the same kind of sector with nonprofit, which I hope we'll get to, which I think is incredibly cool. But what I'd love to start with, so you're in Amsterdam.
1: I'm in Copenhagen at the moment. I'm on tour. But yeah, I'm based in Amsterdam.
0: Who are you out with?
1: Out with Mo, Danish singer Mo.
0: Oh, cool. Cool. Well, thanks, because I know it's never easy when you're on tour to do stuff like this. So we're grateful. I would love for you to first talk about, I mean, I read in your bio that you were booking bands as a teenager and maybe go into that and how it led to tour managing.
1: So as a teenager, I was listening to a lot of rock music. I was a big fan of all the grunge bands. And later on, I was listening to new Metal. And once I had a taste of that first live experience, which was Silverchair in the Paradiso in 1997. And it was just like the best I remember
0: Silverchair. Of- they were great. I remember that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I loved it. It was so good. I was 14 years old and my dad had driven me to Amsterdam and... It was just so exciting, and I mean, I didn't go early or anything. We just went when doors had opened. But yeah, just being around all the other fans and seeing them play live—it just, it was magical, and it was awesome. And I remember that I, you know, because we didn't have smartphones at the time <laughs> or even phones, and I just was like, I just wish I could, I could hold on to this feeling and just memorize it forever. It was, I just loved it so much. And I brought my little disposable camera and I shot all the shots within the first song. And then also I was <laughs> developing them and they all came out so bad that I was like, okay, I'm never going to waste my time and money trying to take photos of band
0: Rock and roll pictures <laughs> on a paper camera.
1: <laughs> exactly. I was like, I'll just I'll just see the photos in the magazines later or something. <laughs> But yeah, no, I just loved seeing live music. But then I lived in a corner of the Netherlands where there just wasn't really much live music happening. There was local bands coming through sometimes. And after I saw them a few times, I was, you know, <laughs> I was ready for more. So, and I had heard that at my high school, before I went to the school, maybe like one or two years before I started going to the high school, they had had a music festival, like a rock festival in the school. So I went to my to my teachers or to someone in charge and I was like, why, can, why doesn't that happen anymore? And uh, they said, well, you know, I, you can organize it. If you want to have a rock festival, you, you can organize it yourself.
0: And that's what you did. And so
1: that's what I did. Yeah. And they said I had to put together a committee. And I had to also organize other events for people that didn't like rock music, just to make it more fair for the others.
0: Yeah, sure. Sure. It's so, a school.
1: It's a school. Yeah, exactly. So We did that. I put together a committee. I got all my friends involved and my sister was on it and they assigned us (laughs) a couple of teachers (laughs) that they were now having to deal with us, organize this festival. And yeah, I don't know, like no one had ever done this, but we just figured it out. And I found some local bands and I requested demos that they sent in the mail on a tape cassette.
0: (laughs) That's great. (laughs) You You had the knowledge to request a demo. That's the best.
1: Yeah, it just it looks so ancient when I talk about this time before, before the internet, but it also had something, you know. And, but yeah, so we rented an, an audio system and a lighting system and a bar, because at the time the drinking age in the Netherlands was 16 for beer and wine, and so there was alcohol at the school event all right and we made posters and we sold the tickets and we got some sponsors and on the day you know all the bands started coming in and they loaded in the audio and the lights and then people were sound checking and in the homeroom classroom we cooked dinner for everybody and and then people started come <laughs> in, and it was just so exciting all of it and then at the you know as the headliner was on stage I was kind of looking down and it's a few hundred kids and they're all dancing and washing and and I'm like, I did this. I organized this. That's right. right. This is awesome. This is the best feeling. And this is something that I want to keep doing. I think this is like my, my thing. And...
0: Yep. Yeah. Industrious and self-directed, it sounds like you were, which is what a tour manager always needs to have. <laughs> <laughs> So could you go into a little bit about your path as far as working professionally and work in like venue sizes and just your growth and who you worked with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So from there, I just started organizing local shows. It wasn't even a venue. It was like an empty room. And we put bands in there and hire a PA and sell tickets to that. And then after high school was done, I found this college called Music Management, Uh, It was a two-year course, but they gave you a degree after the two years, which is exceptional because usually you have to do four years in the Netherlands to get the same degree. But I don't know, it was some kind of exceptional school. And it was in Tilburg, so I moved to this city an hour and a half from where I grew up, and they had a pretty big venue in that town. They had a 2,000-cap room, a 300-cap room, and a 100-cap room. So I started working there as a kind of a student job, In the cloakroom just hanging up coats Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the audience but it got me into all the shows for free which is awesome and after maybe a year or so i started working as a stagehand in that same venue just i think working as a stagehand is super valuable experience for anyone wanting to go into live music because you see everything that's needed every role you learn how everything works from the ground up and yeah i did that for a few years and through the stagehand job I met a local band who I had a click with and I said, like, Oh, I'm really looking to get into tour management and so they took me on and we were doing just shows on the weekends in the country and they kinda let me help drive and sell the shows and sell merch and Yeah. This was like, starting right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then for my school I had to find an internship and I found one at the agency group, which had an an Amsterdam office at the time. And I interned there for six months. Just drawing up the contracts, sending out writers, sending out press packages, getting tax exemptions and work permits and all this. stuff. I just was prepping everything for the tour managers. And at the end of the internship, I asked if I could go on one of the tours. And yeah, they said, call the artist. They said and ask yes. It. Yeah, they said. Well, they said yeah. They gave me a good recommendation and they gave me their blessings. So I called the artist. It was like a solo project of uh, a singer whose band I was a huge fan of. So I was really nervous to call him. <laughs> but he was super nice. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Your boss gave me gave you a glowing... So
0: you, you actually called the artist and said, I want a tour manager for you? Yes. That's great. That's the kind of initiative it takes. Beautiful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my boss made me call him. <laughs> I was so nervous. <laughs> um, And I was super nervous. And then he didn't answer. So he called me back. But it was a really nice conversation. And he was super nice. I worked with him for quite a few years after that on other tours.
0: And so how did you graduate up from like into bus tours and larger venues and things?
1: Well, so I did that first tour with that singer songwriter. And then I just kind of fell into a gap because I had graduated. And I had built very little network because as a stagehand, that's pretty hard. And that one tour, that singer, songwriter and his band, they didn't have a label at the time. They didn't have a manager anymore. And they didn't have really a booking agent that was doing, they didn't have touring plans. And on that tour, there hadn't been really a support that was doing anything. And there was no other crew. So I had made almost no connections that will typically lead to your next tour. And so I was like, now what do I do? You know, How am I going to get my next tour tours over now what yeah yeah exactly tours over now what how do i like, how do i make new connections have i made the right decision and i just kept working as a stagehand and telling people i'm a tour manager if you need anybody i'm looking for work and i had my business cards made and Good. finally Good. after 6 months i mean yeah i still have business cards i think it's it's handy even if it's a little No, I
0: totally love I've gotten the best gigs on napkins. And I mean, I wished I had a business card. I never did. And I wanted one. I think it's good. (laughs) I think I think I know maybe I will, you know, so then so then after tour, how did you get to your next band?
1: It came from another tour manager that I had met on one of the gigs with that local band. And he was a Dutch tour manager. And he, you know, as you do as tour manager, you can only be on one tour at a time. So if you are booked and you get another offer, you still want to help your connection out. So they call you again next time. So you try to help them find a tour manager. And you know that if you help the other tour manager find a job, then, you know, they're going to keep you in mind next time. So it's, you know, it's, it's all, all the tour managers really help each other out. I still do that. If I get a tour offer that I can't do, I always try to get someone that I know on the tour and connect the people looking to
0: it's really cyclical and Sound Girls and it sounds like backstage has a lot of connections that way too and that you're built on the community aspect of of referrals and then coming back so that you get your you can have your job back that you couldn't do because you were out on tour so that's brilliant
1: absolutely and so he he helped me get quite a few tours at the start which you know they were it wasn't a lot it was just like one three-week tour that I got two days before it started and I really had to move fast and (laughs) Also, all my shifts at the cloakroom in the venue and go (laughs) on the tour. And then it was like another three months of nothing. And then one more tour came around and then another three months of nothing. But then they kept getting more. It just, the gaps got a little shorter and slowly the tours got a little bigger. Because the first few tours, they were all pretty DIY where I had to bring a sleeping bag on tour. I was the only crew member. So I was driving, tour managing and selling merch. And... Yeah, I think that out of that, I just kept meeting more touring people, and you kept in touch with them, and then they would keep you in mind if they heard of work, and that's how I would get the next one and the next one and the next one. And yeah, it was another tour manager who got me my first bus tour that I was extremely excited about to be on a tour bus. I I know, isn't it?
0: It's a whole different. It feels like a resort once you're
1: (laughs) comparatively. I just go to bed and then when I wake up, we're already there. It's amazing. I don't have to do this seven, eight hours of driving and start the working day. Oh, yeah. It felt like it just felt like I had won, like I had totally made it. And I was there. I landed the dream job, the tour manager on a bus tour.
0: Okay. So I know you worked for M83 and such an incredible duo there. They're just a duo, right?
1: Not anymore. Actually, it's just one person, Anthony Gonzalez. And he has like a band on stage with him.
0: Okay, so so I know that you worked with M83. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that experience and maybe shed some knowledge for people who would be curious on how you sort of tour managed that tour and what it took from when you were contracted to the end of tour and rap?
1: Absolutely. So with M83 is a band that I started with in 2008 when they weren't massive yet. And so I was hired and it was a a van tour and it was just the band and me and a front of house sound engineer And it grew over the years into like a big production with two buses and a truck production. One of the headliners of Coachella and... uh, Sure. No, they're big. I love them. Yeah. So M83 was my first global act. So my first time touring outside of Europe and their manager and I get along really well. And so I am now on board at the time that they start booking the shows so that they're asking me about the logistics, the routing. I mean, I don't make any decisions, but then when they've got a penciled in routing, they'll come to me and say, does this work? Can we go A to B within this time frame? Can you run a budget based on these fees? And then based on that budget, they can decide whether or not it makes sense for them to do the tour. And then once the shows are confirmed, We'll start looking at hiring the rest of the crew. There's some people that will come back from previous runs. There's some people that maybe aren't available, or are, we're looking to replace, or maybe it, the show is a little different and we don't need certain people or we need add people. So once we've got the crew in place, and the band, we can start planning the rehearsals and the production rehearsals, booking the buses because we need to. They're a European act, so we need to get visas. So that's one of the first things on the table is getting your american visa sorted cuz it takes a really long time to get those done. Oh my gosh,
0: right? All the global work and customs. I mean, if you how much do you have to do with customs and getting all that gear through there or they probably have a production manager, maybe you could talk about the difference between you and them or
1: Yeah, the production manager deals with that mostly, but when I started there wasn't a production manager, so it was me dealing with the customs. We need to get a carnet for all the equipment, so every time you go, go through An international border, you need to export the equipment on one side of the border and then import it on the other side of the border, which is, uh, yeah, it's just time consuming. And sometimes it's (laughs) really
0: a big deal. Yeah, it's really a big deal, because if you have stuff caught up and, and what carne is for people who don't know is. You have to write down everything. Sometimes you have to write down serial numbers of all the gear that you're bringing. It is like nails anxiety for the tour manager when they're taking bands through a border, even if it's just bodies without the gear, because visas can be held up. And you have a big show on the other end that you're bringing the band to. And when you get held up logistically in something political or legal, it's just it's really scary. I don't have you ever had that happen?
1: Where something almost didn't happen. Where you couldn't
0: get... Yeah, I worked for an artist that had a felony, and they couldn't come into Canada. And we had a show the next day, so we had to get attorneys on everything. It was a really big deal. I mean, I was just the sound engineer. I wasn't, but the tour manager was flipping (laughs) out. Okay. And they're like, why didn't you tell us about the felony? But anyways.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's really... not a small detail. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, I've never, never had to deal with, with anybody with felonies at the border, but... <laughs> it's pretty
0: rare, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, but I've definitely had to deal with unforeseen circumstances, such as our cargo being delayed due to strikes in France. And
0: Oh my gosh.
1: We what came did you do? Class, and we had a festival in Barcelona, and the gear was coming in through France, and... Actually, it was, I mean, it was supposed to come in through Spain, but there was a strike there and then they had to reroute it and they flew it into Frankfurt and then had a dedicated splitter van drive to Barcelona with our equipment. And it got there about 20 minutes before our stage time at this, uh, at Primavera Festival in Barcelona.
0: Oh my gosh. uh,
1: Yeah, it was awful. But it It got there. uh, it got there and we did the show and it was kind of thrown together, but it, it happened. We made the show.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, that you got it through. Um, so you do all the prep with the routing and the budget and then anything international. So, okay, it's tour day and you're on the bus. Then maybe walk us through like what you do during the tour.
1: Well, yeah, as soon as I wake up, I'll go outside and see, you know, get a, get my bearings a little bit and figure out where to enter the venue. And then usually I'll take pictures and throw them in a WhatsApp group so that everyone in the band and crew will see they don't have to figure it out. <laughs> There's nowhere to go. And I walk in the venue, I meet the production manager or, yeah, the day of show contact and they ask to get shown around. And then I will assign dressing rooms, kind of look at what the layout is. I mean, if it's a smaller tour, there's usually one or two dressing rooms and it's pretty obvious (laughs) what needs to be what. And sometimes when you're on a bigger tour and you have... Like a principal room and then a band room and a crew room and a production office and a support room. Mm-hmm. And you want to kind of see which is best suitable for which party and, and assign them. Then I run through the schedule with the production manager just to confirm everything is still as we advanced. And then print out my day sheets, put them up everywhere, hang up the Wi-Fi password, <laughs> and put up my signs so that everyone knows where they're going, where catering is, where showers are. Make sure there's towels ready for showers. Make sure the coffee is ready. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> Take my own coffee. shower. tours, Get ready. In an ideal world, I do this before I start work. Sometimes I'm still in my pajamas at five o'clock and I'm like, oh, I still need a shower.
0: That's right. That's tour life, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: So the band goes on. The show's great. And you're, during the show is kind of a break because you're not having to manage any people, right? You're doing the next gig, the next city. Right.
1: Yeah, during the show, unless the artist really needs me to be at the side of the stage, but usually we have a stage manager and a production manager who are on the stage. I don't really watch much of the show. It'll be nope. kind of my quiet moment in in my production office. So this is usually the time where I do settlement with a promoter. We go over all the expenses for the show and all the income and see how much money is left <laughs> afterwards and what <laughs> our percentage is and if everything adds up and. I usually also, during the show, will send out a day sheet for tomorrow's show, so everyone's up to date. I use Master Tour actually, as much as possible, unless the band has a strong preference for another software program, but I use Master Tour and everyone's got the app, so everyone can see the information, but I think it's still useful to send out a date sheet by email the night before. Sure. And I get the parking details for tomorrow's show, so I can give it to the drivers before we leave, so they know kind of what the situation is for the next day
0: and then rinse and repeat and then finally the end of tour and then do you do a budget settle at the end of tour
1: yes i reconcile uh, the budget which is also a lot of work right (laughs) so it's important to keep up with that as you're on tour and then it'll be less work but if you have to do all of it at the end yeah it can be quite complicated
0: that's right oh gosh I know expenses. So brilliant. And you were doing this long before a lot of women were even doing that. I mean, it's always on my tours. I've never, I guess I've had one tour manager that was a woman. So Bravo, you were sort of an original gangster, you know, going straight in and being self with a lot of self initiative. So I guess I want to kind of now that you've laid the ground for what a tour manager does. Thank you. I would love for you to talk about Backstage Pass and how that came about and what it for and what it does.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I pretty much in the first week of lockdown two years ago, I got bored and I've always been pretty active in the Women in Live Music Facebook group. And to a certain extent, also sound girls, but more so women in live music, because it's a European-based group. And since I don't do sound, (laughs) it didn't feel like so much of a sound girl. But yeah, I posted... We love
0: you anyways. What's that? We love you. We love you here. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, during during pandemic, I was also in touch with Carrie quite a bit. And I, I mean... I'm definitely more active on SoundGirls now, but yeah, I've just posted on Women in Live Music something like, "Yeah, I'm a tour manager with lots of free time on my hands. If anybody has any questions or wants to just touch base and have a chat one-on-one with a seasoned tour manager, then give me a call." And there's quite a few women that reached out to me, and and I thought, okay, well, I mean, I really enjoy this. I really. I'm happy to help aspiring tour managers get a leg up, you know. And then they started hosting webinars on women in live music. And they asked me to do a webinar on tour management, which I did gladly, which was really fun. I was incredibly nervous, but it was really fun. And I got a lot of good feedback off of it. And someone that had seen it, Joanne Croxford, who was Manager and production coordinator from the UK, and she's she was running a diversity and inclusion group in the tour production group, and the tour production group was a brand new alliance of tour and production managers in the UK that had gotten together to write COVID protocols (laughs) over over the really in the first pandemic. And so she asked me to come on the diversity and inclusion biweekly talk and talk about my experience working with Fever Ray and The Knife, where we had an all female crew. So I came on that and then, you know, they said I could keep joining all their meetings and they had meetings every week about diversity and inclusion, but also about mental health and uh, sustainability. And I went to as many meetings as I could because I thought everything was super interesting that they were doing and I was learning a lot. And I was also kind of, I think like a lot of people, because we were home from touring, we were just kind of like grasping at draws just to keep that connection community
0: yeah it really it was a hard a vacuum it felt like a vacuum nobody was working and it was really i mean what we do it just doesn't translate to remote work <laughs> so that's brilliant no, so
1: no, exactly so, so
0: then from that how did the ideas come to start backstage path
1: well i mean just from learning in the diversity and inclusion group i was just learning about all these different initiatives and finally, there was a talk by AJ, who had co-launched the 3T project in the UK, which I don't know if you're familiar. It's the, the Tor tech training.
0: I don't. Tell me.
1: Okay. It's it's Muramasa and Nao's management. Native management launched the Tor tech training program where they were offering, and I have a hands-on course for Black women to be touring technicians. And
0: Oh, how cool. I didn't know about it.
1: Oh, it's it's such an amazing program. They just launched their second year, the second round of these trainings, because uh, the 10 women that graduated the first one, they're all touring now and doing amazing. And I was so inspired because instead of talking about it, they did a thing. And so I thought, okay,
0: there you go. Bravo. Yeah, I
1: want to do the thing. And I didn't want to copy them completely, but just because that seemed like a little bit too much to take on to do this hands-on training. And I felt like in the Netherlands, there are schools that you can go to. So I decided to do more of an inspiration day for teenage girls, which we're now going to happen later on this year in five venues throughout the Netherlands, where we're going to have women technicians and women stage managers and stage hands and tour managers and even tour bus drivers talk about their jobs just to... Have like a, I don't know if you can. That, that.
0: Yeah, what is that? Is that a baby? It's
1: a, it, yeah, it's a kid crying in the hallway.
0: <laughs> the lovely life living in a hotel. It's all right. It's fine. Did
1: I wait
0: a minute. Okay. No, that's okay. It's that's how it goes. So then, um oh wait, yeah, maybe it's it's really it's someone's torturing the kid. I mean, <laughs> leave it to the tour manager. Fix the problem. Oh my god. <laughs> you guys fix every problem. (laughs) Thank you. So maybe just start again. Tell me about Backstage Passes event that you have planned.
1: Yeah. So we are doing kind of inspiration career days for teenage girls where in five venues throughout the Netherlands, we're going to have women professionals talk about their jobs as sound engineers, lighting designers, bus driver, stage manager, etc. We're going to have tour buses parked outside the venues.
0: Are you really? That's That's great. There's so much mystique around that. I I remember one of my partners, you know, whenever we're driving, he's always like, is that a tour bus? I'm like, no, that's not a tour bus. The tour buses (laughs) don't have windows in the middle.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Whenever I'm on tour and I have friends or family visiting, I always show them the bus and to them, that's always the most exciting thing. So it is, it's the, it's the
0: best if you could do that. So that'll be exciting. So all the women are going to be able to walk through and see what it's like and yeah. what kind of accoutrements they have there. Beautiful. That's a great exactly.
1: idea. Thanks. Yeah. And so we have Peter Smith, who is a Dutch nightliner company. They, uh, they're sponsoring their buses. So they're parking their bus out front and sending... A woman bus driver along with it so that'll be a really fun aspect i think to the day and yeah just kind of explaining to girls what kind of jobs there are because i think a lot of them don't really realize what types of jobs there are in live music production and i mean i found my way anyway but i i mean i would have died at the opportunity as a teenager
0: I know. Wouldn't you love if you, there was something like Sound Girls or Backstage Pass? I mean, it would have made things so much easier. Absolutely. So.
1: Yeah. There was definitely wasn't a lot of women when I was starting.
0: There couldn't have been because I was out there with you and I saw almost yeah. none. So thank you for starting this. So if someone was listening overseas in, in Europe or the Netherlands, and how would they get involved with Backstage we, Pass? You
1: can find our website. It's uh, backstage-pass.nl or... Uh, on Instagram it just hit us up and on any platform really we've got a we've got an Instagram a LinkedIn and a website
0: beautiful and when's the so event we've got
1: five events in five venues and they're all in uh, November and December
0: oh good so you're clustering them yes like that and is your tour season is different because it's oh no it's about the same as the U.S. yeah I'm gonna right? be on for most
1: yeah. of them unfortunately because I Are mean you? I got hired after we planned those dates but yeah, I can't say no to a month-long tour <laughs> because it depends. No way. So, I mean, I'm setting them all up, and we're now doing the groundwork. We had the website built, and we're just getting them all organized, but then running them on the day. I mean, I would have really loved to be there, but it'll be fine with well, – we'll hire some other people. To, <laughs> to.
0: I'm sure you will. I mean, just starting it is, and being a founder is enough of a role. I mean yep. – you know, Lacha. It's kind of amazing what you've done in just with your own power alone. So I'm impressed. Thanks
1: so much. It's been really fun thing to work on. And I've been mentoring a few women through mentorship programs this last year. And two of them are now on their first tours, which is awesome. <laughs> so...
0: Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Do they call you or no? Are they just off and running? Oh,
1: no. I mean, I, I got them those tours and they're definitely calling me and... <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and they're both excited and stressed and also thankful. And I mean, I, I think a mentorship doesn't really need to end when the program ends. I think when you have a good connection, I think that could be a real long-term commitment. I think I've really enjoyed my unofficial mentors because they got me a lot of work, and I feel it feels really great to be able to pass that down to the next generation.
0: Doesn't it? I know. It's really, you can be having a bad day and meet with a mentee and, and it's just, everything turns to flowers, it feels Absolutely.
1: like. Absolutely. And just seeing how enthusiastic they are and how much they want it and how hard they're working. Yeah, it's amazing. They 100% deserve everything that they've got going on for them.
0: Yeah. And they, and to see people make money and have lives and jobs that are careers because, you know, so I just really applaud all your initiative and um, backstage pass sounds Really, really needed and amazing. So, yeah. as far as just wisdom gems, as a mentor, what do you find that people need the most to hear? If you could just tell someone thinking of going into tour managing what they might not know that you'd wish that someone told you. I
1: think that maybe my first day when I picked up the backline to my first tour at this rental company, the owner of the backline rental company gave me probably the best advice. <laughs> and he said, always go to the source. And because it, it's it's such a advice that you can apply to anything. And it just means you can never make assumptions and you can never work off secondhand information. You need to get that information firsthand because there's always going to be some white noise that's going to, you know, make misunderstandings or things can definitely go wrong. So I think that's really valuable advice. And that at the time that he told me, I was a bit like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> but now, and now and, you yeah, know, exactly. And now I know. And I think that's such solid advice. And I think that what I'm seeing with a lot of people that are looking to get into tour management but don't know how is just a lack of being proactive and yeah, you needed to really take initiative and make things happen for yourself. Because I think maybe with any music industry job, but especially with touring, you can't just kind of sit at home and wait for job openings to appear. And so you can apply for them and be one of the thousand people applying. You need to just walk in the door and ask for a job.
0: <laughs> I think your stage handing advice is really good to start out as a stage because you can make money and you see all the departments yeah. work. And you meet people that way. I did and I got other jobs and then I started learning sound. I got to sit behind the board and then people taught me and I had people to ask and it it is. And I really love what you said about secondhand advice. I mean, a lot of broken relationships could probably use that advice as well. You know, like when you're traveling in a group, the dynamic is so different. And, you know, you have to really go to the source. I love that advice. I Will apply it to my own life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I guess lastly, is there anything that you would want to say that we haven't covered? Yes,
1: I do have something to add. I recently hosted a workshop on how to get your foot in the door. I called it "How to Get Your Foot in the Door: The Tour Bus," and I had (laughs) an incredible panel of other women in the industry. And yeah, I recorded it. So you can look back and I posted it along with the slides and some other resources in a link tree slash get me on tour. So I think that would be a great resource for anybody looking to get on their first tour. We laid it all out in a two hour long workshop. <laughs> with the game.
0: That's great. And everybody can watch yeah. it online. And uh, it's called how to get your foot in the door of the tour yeah. bus. <laughs> That's great. So I always close the show with getting your recommendation for your favorite album, something just that's top to bottom that you can always listen to and that you can pass on to the listener. Oh,
1: <laughs> I'm a little torn because when I was young, it was Anima by Tool. I've listened to that record so oh, much, and now
0: you know it's funny. My tour manager, I worked with the guy that was on the inside cover. That was naked with the woman on there. He was my tour manager really? on that tool record. Yeah. He was he was tiny and she was anyways, if you check it out, you'd know. But okay, that's a little funny connected story. So so there's it's, that record. What about now, contemporary? No, what do you look what are you not listening even to?
1: Contemporary, but my, my go to album. <laughs> it's so embarrassing, but it's a dirty dancing soundtrack.
0: <laughs> the dirty dancing soundtrack. That is awesome. <laughs> That is so awesome what's the good song on there what's the i mean i remember that movie all,
1: i mean i don't even know what they're called it's just she's like the wind and uh the, i had a time of my life i guess that's like the title track
0: oh god that song is so iconic for people who are our age sorry younger listeners but yeah, yeah we're having a we're having a 40s <laughs> moment <laughs>
1: It's just the best. When I have to do like housework or cleaning, I just put on the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. I'm like, sing it (laughs) along. That's great.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're on tour, you're in a hotel room, and you made time for us, and... I'm also deeply grateful at everything you're bringing to women and underserved minorities in the music business by starting Backstage Pass. So thank you for being on.
1: My pleasure. It was it was great to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. And, uh, similarly impressed with everything that SoundGirls does.
0: We'll have a great tour and safety to all. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: Hey there, audio community. The Soundgirls Podcast would like to thank our sponsors, QSC, for supporting our program. And you may think pro-audio when you think about QSC, but they're also about making the world a better place. They're committed to things like integrity and building trust and keeping promises. They promote thinking long-term, even when it's more work, and they value inclusion. They promote doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. So QSC is about a lot more than just audio, and we're very grateful for their support. So check out everything that they're about at QSC.com. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of interviews with audio industry veterans. The project seeks to highlight the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. Interviews are conducted by Sound Girls members with guidance from experienced interviewers in the audio industry. Interviews will be available publicly in our Living History Project and for educational use and
1: research. You can find the Living History Project on the Soundgirls YouTube page, youtube.com slash soundgirls.
0: Hey, are you looking for more audio-related podcasts? Well, check out our friends at the Audio Podcast Alliance. To see all their podcasts, visit audiopodcast.org. The executive producers of the Sound Girls podcast are Becky Campbell and Susan Williams. This episode was produced by me, Rebecca Wilson, and edited by Christina Hiramoto. Our theme song was written and recorded by Jess Fenton, and we send a big thank you to our sponsors at QSC. Who, just like at Soundgirls, wants to help empower you with the right tools, support, and services to help you create impactful connections. Find out more info at soundgirls.org and qsc.com.